Mr. Rob, will you pray for us, please? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you uh, for allowing us to gather here this morning uh, to get into your word and learn how to interpret your word. Uh, if I was to, um, to use the tools that Pastor Mark uh, teaches us to properly apply proper hermeneutics to, uh, to your scriptures, to your word, and to teach others and to share what we learn and to uh, bear fruit in doing so, uh, please uh, give Pastor Mark the utterance and uh, the ability to teach us this morning and us open ears and open hearts to receive it. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, this book is highly recommended. What, by you, Dave? I don't know who put this here. Uh, okay, uh, last week we started on application and we said the Bible is designed for, for the purpose of application. It's not there just to give us academic head knowledge, but there's a reason for it. It's a living book, living word. And then there are challenges in biblical application because we're going to an ancient book with, you know, separated by a lot of time and years and culture and countries and all that. So um, how do we apply the Bible? We said, first of all, we build application on interpretation. Do you guys all have the notes? Build application on interpretation? Um, it's not separate from interpretation. The application comes out of the how to the interpretation that you've worked hard for and studied and all that, and then the application is based on that. It's not just some something you bring in on the side has nothing to do with what you just said. Okay, we're on number two now. We're gonna start on number two. Determine what was expected of the original audience. That's uh, page three, maybe. Of that. Determine what it was expected of the original audience. Number two. Everybody's looking through all kinds of papers, and I, I, we're, we're all on application, oh, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, go to the first page. I'm sorry. What in the world did I do? I got number two. One, two, three. Oh, it should be number, I don't know. It should be B. Oh, I'm bad about this. It should be, okay, look under uh, guidelines for applying the Bible, number three. Guidelines for applying the Bible. Then you got A, build application on interpretation. Then you got, should be B, determine what was expected of the original audience. Oh, man, I went to three, four, five. Okay. Is everybody there? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, determine what was expected of the original audience. Everybody in the, the all the Bible writers wrote to a, an audience with a certain set of circumstances. Tim, I don't know if I gave you that last week or not. Did you, you didn't get it last week. I have it, Tim. And I, Tim, I don't have last week's. So I'll have to get you a copy. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, so uh, an audience, a given audience, was written to by a certain particular Bible writer, and he and he wrote to that. A group a particular audience for a certain reason is trying to get a certain response from them based on their peculiar circumstances and for example Paul wrote the book of Colossians why did he write Colossians this audience is church of Colossae and then you got Laodicea and Hierapolis right around the corner those three cities together so he wrote to the book of he wrote to the people of Colossae because there was a heresy brewing in the area and the heresy was, you know, saying things against Christ, had a very low view of Christ. He wasn't all that big of a deal in their view. And so Paul wrote Colossians trying to com combat that, you know, poor view of Christ. So he talks about the superiority of Christ. And he talks about um, how Christ created the universe and he uh, upholds the universe and he is the head of the church and all that. And he, and he says, um, you know, basically, what's the application in all that? Well, Christ should be first in our lives. He's Lord of all things. He's not uh, less, lesser. He's, he's, he's the best. He's, I mean, he's the ultimate. He's, the, he's the, uh, the one that should be preeminent in our lives. So that's the application there. So Paul wrote to a certain audience with certain circumstances, Colossians, and he said, here's what's going on. Now let me tell you what the truth is. And he applied it, right? Number three, recognize how God's working varies in different ages. Do you guys see that? Recognize how his working varies in different ages. 
You know, some things in the Bible, by the way, back to the point before, so when you're reading the book of the Bible, look for the, the main points as to why the writer's writing. What's he, what's he trying to apply? But number three, um, there are some things in the Bible that are timeless principles written for all ages and other things that are temporary. Have you ever thought about it like that? For example, if you have the command to love your neighbor, is that a temporary uh, idea or is there a timeless principle there? And why is that? Yeah, you don't. And, and throughout the Bible, you see the cat, that command given. You see it in Leviticus. A lot of times you see things in Leviticus you don't see elsewhere, right? <laughs> but not this one. And Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself or something to that effect. You see that again in Matthew. And then you see it in Romans. Then you see it in Galatians. Then you see it in James. Same thing. Throughout the scripture, again and again, you see all that. And so it's a timeless principle. Throughout, guess what? Moses was still of his neighbor. And guess what? So am I now. It's always been that way. Um, but there are some things that are just took place at different times in history, not forever. Uh, for example, in Leviticus, Israel, as you know, was forbidden to eat certain foods, right? But then Jesus rescinded that later on, you know, and, 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 and then uh, Paul, I mean, uh, Peter did in Acts chapter 10. The Lord cleansed all foods, and Peter was involved in that. So, you know... The understanding how God, so when you read back in Leviticus, you know, you got this movement, Tim's got to guide his uh, business, you know, you're going back to our Hebrew roots, right? And I work with a guy like that too. And so they're going to go back to the Old Testament foods that are clean and all that. You got to eat only pork. And, I mean, you can't eat pork and things of that nature. Now, if they're health, if it's health, is it healthier? Yeah, overall, that list was healthier. Um, but do we have to eat that way? No, we don't. Jesus is cleansed all food. Now, that doesn't also give people the liberty to go out and eat junk food all the time. See, that's, that's where this, you know, some people today think, well, I can eat little Debbie cakes all day because God cleansed all the food. That's not what it means, you know. Um, but <clears throat> at any rate, you know, there's some things for one period of history and some things that are timeless. Number four, determine, determine what's, boy, it seems so weird with just a handful of people in here now. <laughs> determine what's normative for today. Um, just because God did something in the past doesn't mean he's going to do it always and for all times and forevermore. Um, Mike calls this probably description, not prescription, right? Isn't that what he calls it? That kind of thing. Um, like Acts is describing certain things, but not prescribing certain things for our time always. Like the apostles did miracles in Acts, but you know we're not doing miracles today. We're not apostles today either, I might add, although some people think they are. Paul went to the third heaven, right? In the, in the Bible? Uh, I thought somebody was just wandering through here. Uh, the official... The river? Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking of the Jordan River. because The official in Syria, you know, was told to go dip seven times in the Jordan River, right? To cure his, <laughs> I'm sorry, forgive. To cure his leprosy, <laughs> I just didn't expect it. Uh, Moses and Aaron threw down sticks, you know, on the ground they became snakes, and you go on and on. Peter raised Dorcas to life. Are those things normative for today? No. Obviously not. They're unique experiences. So, you, but you see people all the time today. All Christians, they'll they'll go to the Bible. Hey, this guy did this, so I'm going to do it now. And then they're doing something that's yeah, Wendell. What's that? Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, I think some things are, okay, first of all, um, there are things that were happening in the New Testament that um, only could have happened then, that can't happen now. Like, for, for example, Paul the Apostle wrote books of the Bible, and he went through personal, he went through certain experiences, Paul did that we're never going to go through because it was only for the first century. It was only for his time. It was only the Apostle Paul that went through those things. He went to the third heaven. That means me and Wendell aren't going to go to the third heaven, you know? I mean, to get visions and all that kind of thing. That's not going to happen to us. What about the <laughs> uh, Moses and Aaron were standing before Pharaoh doing that. I don't think me and you are going to be in that position. In other words, God was, God was using these people at a certain time in history to accomplish a certain task. 
And now we look, we look back on our, we're readers of the scripture. And, we, and you know, the same thing, the same things aren't going to apply today because we're not in the position <coughs> Moses was. Yeah. The churches today that were, I don't know if they're still around or not, but. Snake handlers? Snake handlers. Right. And, and that, was, that was a miraculous thing that happened. But again, I think, you know, as Mike has said many times in Acts, it's not, uh, it's not what's the word you say? It's not, it's not prescription, it's description, right? Um, and so um, Paul was, uh, you know, the, the Paul, it showed that Paul was uh, not just, uh, there was something different about him at the time when, when that happened. And the snake handlers, by the way, in Tennessee and wherever they're at, that has nothing to do with what the Bible said at all about. They, they based that on Mark 16, the, the last few verses. You know, you're going to take up snakes and they're not going to bite you or whatever it says. Um, but first of all, Mark 16, the ending is up for, is a textual variant that, you know, is not, as is, is many say, is not even part of the scripture. And Mark 16, that's another debate for another day. Although MacArthur has a sermon on that, actually. Mark 16, that whole issue there. But they based it on that textual variant, you know. And uh, they probably use Paul as well. But uh, just, I mean, there's some, some things that we can't, we can't replicate today. Are we going to, I mean, are we going to raise, Peter raised Dorcas to life. Uh, I don't think we're going to be doing that today. The apostles were given power to raise the dead. We weren't given power to raise the dead. Uh, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. We're not an apostle to anybody. So I think for that period of time, <clears throat> certain things are true that are not true today, and most of this has got to do with apostleship, I think. Look over in Matthew, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, yeah. Matthew 10, and also Luke, 30, Luke 22, 36. Um, some things were for, uh, for cer certain groups of people for certain periods of time, and then later on, for the same group, it was changed, even. Uh, Luke 20, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, 9 and 10. Uh, this is not correct. This is where I double-check verses constantly, and I didn't do it this time. That's a shame. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, he says, uh, you know, don't, uh, when you go to people's houses, you know, you know he says there, um, don't, don't worry about money and don't worry about eating and all that. Go to somebody's house and they'll take you in and so on and so forth. Look at Matthew, uh, Luke twenty two thirty six. At the end of his ministry, he says, he says to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. So you see the same group. At first he said just... Oh, I'm in Mark 10. Matthew 10, 9 and 10. What does Matthew 10, 9 and 10 say, Tim? Do not acquire gold or silver yeah. or copper for your money belt or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Yeah, at the beginning, he's, you know, Jesus is with them in that time. And he's saying, don't worry about all that. But then when he's getting ready to leave, he says, now, you know, get your money belts and, and do, do these kind of things. And Peter says, I got two swords here. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah, that's enough. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's like the, uh, it reminds me of the uh, uh, manna that fell from heaven. Uh, when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they didn't have access to, you know, they weren't working for a living and taking care of themselves and farming and all that. So God took care of them, right? He fed them. But then when, in Joshua, when they crossed over in the promised land, the next day it says the manna stopped. Now you're on your own, boys. You've got to go to work because I'm not taking care of you anymore like that miraculously. You've got to go work for your food now. You know? and he expects us to work for our food. That miraculous period of time happened in the, in the wilderness when, when they couldn't take care of themselves like that. And then God says, okay, now, go, now work. So that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> Abraham, Dave, Jacob, and David had several wives. Does that mean that polygamy is okay? Like Wendell said, how do we know? Does that mean polygamy is okay? Because these guys in the Bible had several wives. I mean, David, the great king of Israel, did. Must be okay then. Is it okay? Well, the Bible condemned it. It's just God put up with it for some reason. 
okay, let me ask you this. Where does the Bible condemn it at? Deuteronomy 17 to the kings, yeah, don't multiply wives, don't multiply horses and all these kind of things. And then not only that, what else is, do, we, do we see in the scripture that's very plain about that subject? Prescription of what the marriage is, one man shall leave his wife. Yeah, Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, clean his wife. There'll be one flesh. And so, quoted in Ephesians 5 again. And so, you know, you got... You got these guys committing polygamy, but then you got the scripture saying, wait a minute, in Genesis, right at the beginning, it's one man, one woman. Deuteronomy 17 tells kings specifically, don't multiply wives. That's right. Jesus affirmed it. That's right. So you got to think about these things when you make application. Do we apply polygamy to ourselves today? Well, when you take what all, all the scripture says, these guys were doing the wrong thing. And being kings, they knew, they, they knew, that, they knew in the position of a king they could get away with it. I mean, I'm not saying they were thinking this, but they had power, right? So they took advantage of their power, I think. I'm not saying they were right. And, and God, you know, they paid the price for it in many ways for what they did. Wasn't it also customary to have multiple wives in that time? If you were a king? Yeah. For alliances? Yep, and also to have a lot of children to carry on your heritage and that kind of thing for alliances politically. But none of that was right, though, even though it seemed... The political expedient thing to do, you know. None of it was right. McQuilkin, a guy who wrote a book about hermeneutics that Dave probably owns. Uh, he's, owned, he's got five hermeneutics books now. <laughs> uh, we must look to the scriptures themselves to determine what God would have us follow today. Since the Bible is God's revelation of his will for all mankind, any teaching of scripture should be taken as normative for contemporary faith um, and living unless scripture itself indicates otherwise. All right, does anybody have any questions on that? <laughs> what did McQuilkin write? Uh, uh, can't remember. I don't know, his name's McQuilkin. <laughs> Robertson McQuilkin. You got a, what, is there a greater name than Robertson McQuilkin? Teaching yeah. in the Bible. Teaching in the Bible. <laughs> Understanding the Bible. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. Maximus, well, Maximus the Confessor is a better name, but yeah. That's true. All right. Number five on application. See the principle inherent in the text. Principle that is inherent in the text. You know, there's many times in the Bible when you're reading it and you're, or you're teaching it or whatever, you're not going to see, application's not going to be on the surface real clear like, do this. It's not going to say that. There's, there's not going to be necessarily a direct command. Uh, when you read a lot of things in the Bible, or a definite action that you're required to take, nothing obvious that stands out. The Bible's designed, it's got all kinds of literature, narratives and stuff. All of it's designed by God to get a point across, okay? First of all, you need to understand that. People don't want to read the Old Testament. They don't want to read uh, this or that because they say, well, what's the point? Well, there's always a point. You just got to figure out what the point is. That's why God wants you to study, to look at it, you know? Um, even long Old Testament narratives have a point they're making, and that's what you need to look for. Look for the principle that's being taught. There's always principles that are being taught in the text. Uh, and then Roy Zuck gives some examples like Matthew 5, 21, 22. You guys have that verse in front of you? Uh, Jesus says, you've heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, or the word is rakah, the Aramaic word, you normally see it translated, but Nasby said, you good for nothing, which is a translation, uh, interpretation of it, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Now, you, you good for nothing, that term is Aramaic, a term for contempt, uh, to show someone contempt. So, are, is, he, is Jesus saying, don't ever say to people, don't go to them and say, rakah, or you good for nothing? Is that what he's saying specifically here? What's the principle here? What's a principle? Yeah, don't be, don't show contempt to anybody, especially with your use of words in this case, you know. Or not to be, yeah, exactly, disrespectful, showing contempt to people. And you know that in, in many places in Scripture it teaches us that anyway, right? You're supposed to be respectful to people and, and uh, uh, it says in, in the First Peter 3 passage, I think, Mike, on apologetics, uh, what does it say, show respect, uh, what's the word? It says, be gentle, uh, 
to all men, uh, uh, respectful and, and with gentleness, yeah, that kind of thing. So we're supposed to be that way. Second Timothy two, not supposed to be argumentative people, but servants of the Lord are supposed to, you know, show uh, gentleness, respect, and that kind of thing. So those that's that's a principle I mean, when you're teaching through that or seeing that. The definition of a principle: the principle is a generalized statement deducted from the specific original situation, then an app and applicable to different though specific similar situations now. Um, so you, you look at the principle in the, old, in, in the older New Testaments and, and you see how does that apply to today and what, and what, and what situation I'm in. I, I have a question. Yeah. I think uh, of taking vows, that kind of thing. Yes. Well, may, maybe making a, 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 some would say you should never make vows at all, but making a fool. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses would say you shouldn't vow in court, upon, swear upon the Bible and things like that. But I think just saying, uh, making uh, foolish vows or, or, or saying you're going to do something in the name of God that you really have no intentions of keeping or just foolish. So false promises? Uh, yeah, maybe a false promise. In other words, electorally, yes, be, in other words, your language should be straightforward, should be sincere, should be honest, should be true, genuine, shouldn't be marked by, uh, you know, uh, hypocrisy or, 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 making, or making claims that, about God that, aren't, that you're going to do this or that for God, the name of God, that it's not even true at all, that you don't, you're not going to carry out, have no ability to carry out, that God doesn't even need you to carry out. Um, so does it also apply, like, in a, in a dopamine manner? What do you mean? Well, the, the Jews, here's what they did. They, they, they swore, he says in one, another reference, don't, you, know, you say you, you swear, you can't buy, swear by the temple, but you can swear by the gold on the temple. That's ridiculous, you know. So they may have been playing mind games with people. I don't know. Um, does anybody have a better explanation than that about uh, what 33, 37, what temp, uh, how you could apply that? Well, I, what if, like, the circumstances, you know, you, you could possibly meet up with him, but you, you're not really sure? You know, Jesus well, says, you, like, you, yes, you, yes, tell no, no. You, we tell him that, but I don't think he's talking about... Uh, Being at dinner? I don't think so either. Line. He would say something more along the lines of... Uh, he, he would say that people were saying, yeah, I'll be there, and never show up. Like, making promises with no intentions of keeping it. Uh, and that's something I'd have to look at more if I was going to go through this passage and teach through Matthew. I would look at it carefully and study it in depth and then, and then draw the application out of it. I mean, I'm talking off the top of my head right now. This is what I call off the top of your head theology. Yep. It is. Good point, Brad. That's a good point. I never, I never noticed that. That's, that's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Never saw that. Uh, let me ask you a question. What, what is the possible principle of the times when David or Saul was trying to kill David again and again, over and over again, and, and then David could have killed him at opportunity? What's the possible principle out of that? Just give me, I'm just giving you something to think about. Okay, yeah, that's a, there's a principle right there. Love your enemies. That's good. That's a good principle. That's right. What else? Yeah, that's the other one I was looking for. Honor for those that God's put over you. And honor, and ultimately, okay, honor for authority and honor for what authority in particular? The king, which is the government, right? So we're at Romans 13 again and verses like that. So, yeah, I mean, you, you may hate the government. You may hate everybody in the government. You may consider them an enemy. But we're to do what? Honor them, right? 
That's what that's, and so you can take that from David. Uh, that, that's a principle. You see, you can draw as you're... So if you guys teach scripture one day and preach, or you're preaching, teaching something, you guys do that now. And in fact, most everybody in here does that, or will probably, before it's all over with. Um, you know, this is the kind of stuff you're drawing out for application. You're looking at it and saying, what's the principle here? What's going on? Even if it just looks like... Let me, here's another one. 1 Kings 17. Uh, Elijah is being fed by ravens. There, there's a drought on. He's been being fed by ravens, which were sent by God. Now, does that mean the Lord is going to use ravens to feed us? What is it? What, what's, he, what's going on there in this, in this whole account of Deut in 1 Kings 17? What, what is God showing us in 1 Kings 17? That's right. So God can provide in difficult times or any time, and uh, he's, he shows, he sh what's that? He's merciful to yeah. some that are faithful to him, and right. to a degree, he's taking care of the one that is his prophet. And you can look at more into that as you look into that chapter, but yeah, he's taking care of his prophet. He's faithful to his people, right? Faithful to meet their needs. Um, we can trust God to meet our needs, that kind of thing. You can see that in the, in the chapter. Uh, Genesis 24, another example. Abraham's servant is seeking a bride for his son Isaac. And uh, the servant goes along and he says, Lord, uh, the, I'm going to go, you know, he goes by the well. He says, the woman that gives me a drink and then says, I'm going to give your camel's drink also, which was a big ordeal. Took a long time to do that. Um, that's going to be the one that's going to be the wife for Isaac. That's the, that's the one. And so this is, that's the one. So what's the principle? If you find a woman that does an unusually kind deed for you, you say, this is the one. Looking for that sign. This is it. It's another one, the fleece. That's right. And it's another one, it's a fleece. Uh, you know... Uh, Put a fleece out. People say, I've heard that all my life. I put a fleece out to the Lord about this and that. Well, did you get an animal skin or what would you do with that? Was there water? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Put it out. It was dry one day and wet the next and everything was dry around or whatever. But the principle could be maybe the Lord guides us as we seek his will, right? We could say something like that. I'm just thinking off the top. The, the Lord guides us as we seek his will. Um, Genesis 22 is Genesis 22 about Abraham sacrificing his son. What's that teaching us? To kill our children? Or to, to what, what's it teaching us? Oh, that's one application because it says in Genesis 22, 1, the Lord was testing Abraham. That's the whole key to that chapter. What, what are we willing to give up for the Lord and not willing to give up for the Lord? And what does he say in the New Testament? Supposed <clears throat> to put the Lord first even above our family and friends. That doesn't mean put the church first. He didn't say that. In other words, I got to give all my time down to the church. That's not what he's saying. He's saying give, put the Lord first, right? Um, yeah, that's right. So those kind of things. Um, make sure the principle in the text is consistent with the scriptures elsewhere. You know, if it, if it says it in one place and, then it, and you, you think you got it and something, something else is, you may have a deal where, you know, Peter's raising Dorcas to life, and you're not going to replicate that, you know. you got to think about those things. I do think we have to be careful of going too far with, like, even the police thing. Yeah. Very There's, easy to fall into <clears throat> wanting to see some kind of tangible symbol for us to move forward, and we think that that's how God guides us. Right. And Yep. You can, you can see a lot, of, a lot of things that you think are signs for you to do this or that. I've done that myself. Well, I, all of a sudden you're out there, you're thinking about doing something, a particular thing, and then you see a bumper sticker that says that word on it or whatever. And then you think, well, wow. I thought about going to the library of West Africa for a long time. And I went there, even visited. And, uh, and, I, and I saw signs everywhere about going to you know, something about Liberia, and I was like, wow, this is God's will for me to go here, and, and, uh, 
And then I, I thought, well, you know, you can't, what I'm saying is you can't base it on all these little things you see on the road, you see a picture or something, you know. I mean, it was in Haiti, for example. We were going down the road, and uh, man, what, what should I do, Lord? And what did I see down there in the road? A picture of Justin Bieber. That was horrible, though. I, that was the worst thing I saw in Haiti. I'm sorry, that had nothing to do with what I'm telling you at all. Worst thing I saw in Haiti was a picture of Justin Bieber. Okay? You didn't interpret that as... Nah. I interpreted this. Here's how I interpreted it. I'm never coming to this country ever. I left. Never coming back here. That was clear leadership right there, for sure. That was a fleece. Anyway. Nah, I, but you've got to be careful how you interpret circumstances. That's what Mike's getting at. A lot of times you can say, what you, well, Mike, why did you come to Tampa, by the way, from California? Why, what made you come here? <laughs> and, uh, and I picked here. You know why? Because I like warmer weather. I like Mark. You like me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I had interviewed with you. And okay. my family was closer to here. I prayed. New York had its benefits. But I picked here. Uh, actually, you I had a... a wouldn't that have been a nice situation in New York, though? Nice salary. Everything was set up. Nice church. Big church. Right? A place to live. It had a school. The church had a school. I mean, it was a better church setting than what I had here. But it wasn't about the money. I liked the people. I liked Mark. We really hit it off. And his family, I stayed at his house when I interviewed here. I got a bad vote here compared to there. There, it would have been 100%. That's true, yeah. Here it was yeah. 75%. Yeah. And I had to get 75 to get here. Not here in the New Tampa, but at another church. The theology, see, here's the problem. Like Mark and the people that were, the, the people that were calling me to be on the church here were lined up with me. Oh, really? Mark was. You know, our, the, 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 the board that called me here yeah. were solid. They, they believed. Brad, there was probably no Armenian, uh, Calvinistic type churches in the state city at the time. Maybe one. I don't know what it was. I couldn't tell you. I mean, in, in New York, you know. it was a little more Calvinistic. So I kind of went a little yes. bit away from that. But there was also a desire to come to this area. I knew it needed it. Yeah. It needed expository missions. I was just curious because yes. you said that it was solid. Did they, yeah, about 2% of them got rid of him. 2%? Well, a very few minority that ran the church. They ran the church, Brad. They were deacons. We would have ended up staying if we would have went to a vote. We thought about fighting it, and then we realized this is a lost cause. So. Because they were leadership on the deacon board, but they weren't. They would have just fought him the whole time he stayed there. So. He was there late. He didn't get to vote. A 16-year-old teenager alternate who rode on his bicycle. <laughs> Nate. And he voted for me to go. So it was yeah. unanimous for me to come. And that guy came later and, and said, late, what did you guys do? Well, you, but we, then when they did the you, vote and I preached, they voted 75% for me to come, 25% no. I was like, I like Mark and his family. I think they're solid. I was on John 6, the end of John 6, uh, yeah. scandal, scandal on. Yeah. Um, scandal. When everyone was mad at Jesus, that was his last sermon. People walked away and didn't want to follow him anymore. Yeah. He called them to repentance that last sermon, the whole church. They didn't, didn't they remember that liberal woman that was leading the music that day? Anyway, it's a long story. <laughs> it was a mess. 
But hey, just a yeah. side note since we're having fun with this. Yeah. I heard the circumstance for the guy that came after me. What happened? They Do you understand that there was a fist fight in the church? No, I don't know about the fist fight. <laughs> With the pastor? Well, the pastor didn't fight, but they fought over whether to get rid of him, too. Yeah, that's typical over there. they literally punched each other out. I I never heard about that. (laughs) That's insane. I'm like, what? I didn't hear about that. Yeah, but this all came to head. We didn't know. We were just just going about our business. Glad you missed out on the fist fight there. Oh, definitely. Definitely am, yeah. I'll need all that. We, they would have been fighting him the whole time. I thought that was not worth it. So. There were some things before. But. Mike wasn't satisfied with his right hook is the real reason. So, <laughs> the but, uh, hey, you know the, the fleece also with, what's that, Steve? Those were mad that they kicked out Mike. Yeah, a handful were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fleece with Gideon, by the way, was in, was more to it than than people talk about. Uh, he was he was in a time it was a time of the judges where things were going downhill. He needed assurance, uh, and uh, it was I think God was gracious to him in giving him assurance and just yeah, again and again. That's right. He'd already told him, and I think he was just being. I personally think he was being gracious to him, saying, "Look, I know you need more assurance. You're." It was a bad time and this and that. And You're by yourself. There's no by yourself. Around. I think he's just being gracious personally. Yeah, there was earlier. I mean, yeah. All right. So anybody other questions on that or comments? Number six, think of the principle as an implication. Implication of the text as a bridge to application. Text may not say something explicitly, you know, clearly, but it may imply something. Like Acts 11, 27 to 30, Christians in Antioch were taking the offering to feed the poor in Judea, another area. They're in Antioch. The, the poor believers are in Judea. They're taking an offering to meet their needs. How does that affect us today? Yeah, like uh, in our case, what would that be? Okay, who in particular? Or who else? Yeah, like if we help Ryan out, which we have several times, or Omar, which we do on a regular basis. Um, that's kind of, you know, helping your brothers out across the world who are in need, right? That kind of thing. Luke 141, Mary uh, visits Elizabeth. She says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, Holy, Holy Spirit. Now, this text is not about abortion, okay? Obviously, right? But... Is it fair to draw an implication from the text that, that the baby, babe in the womb is, is living and an abortion is therefore uh, would be the wrong? It, the babe in the womb is alive. Is an implication we can draw from the text. It's not the main thing. It's not what it's about. I know all that. But it is an implication in the text. Same is true of Jeremiah 1.5. God called Jeremiah from the womb, right? Well, what if he had been aborted? That's just an implication. That's all in there. <coughs> What about narratives? I'll give you an illustration. Narratives can illustrate a principle for us. You, you read some long Old Testament narrative and you think to yourself, what in the world's going on? But think about the, the principle, for example. Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. David is, is, uh, is in Jerusalem. He wants, to get the, uh, he wants to get the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant has been on this guy's house, in this guy's house for like 20 years. It's on a hill. So he says, I want you to guys to go and get the Ark of the Covenant, bring it to Jerusalem. They go do it. They put it on a cart. Oxen are pulling the cart. It stumbled. The oxen stumble. A guy named Ohio, I think his name is, reaches out to grab, to steady the Ark. And the, and the and, uh, guy kills him, you know. And it says he killed him for his irreverence. Then it goes on. And David's afraid. Man, Lord, we can't even get the, the thing, the Ark over there. Okay, and, that's, and it doesn't explain anything. It just goes on like that in the narrative. Except it says he killed him for his irreverence. So what do we draw from all that? You're just reading the, the narrative. What's going on? What principle do we draw? What do we think about that? What implications are there? What do we do with that chapter? For in the way of application. 
Yeah, Romans, I like that verse. That's true. But there, what, what, is, what was the problem in 2 Samuel 6? It doesn't tell us in 2 Samuel 6 what the problem was. He was, irre, he was irreverent. Why, what was the issue at the, at the root of it, though? On their shoulders, right? On their shoulders. They weren't not even the Levites. Right. No one was supposed to touch them. They did it all wrong to begin with. The whole thing was wrong from the very beginning. None of that would have happened even, you know? So, so, but you, get, you, you go back and you realize, oh, wait a minute. The Old Testament said this about that. This sub subject, David didn't do it the right way. The guys didn't do it the right way. This all happened. But the bottom line is God's holy, right? He should be treated as such, as Brad said, like Ananias and Sapphira. Um, I think he did have, had, I think they had full of good intentions. That's a good, that's a real good point right there. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. That's right. Okay, number seven, apply the Bible to yourself personally and practically. Um, don't, you know, don't think in general terms when you apply the Bible to yourself. Think in terms of specifics. Um, Howard Hendricks wrote a book called Living by the Book, which, by the way, is a good book to get. I thought about having you guys do that instead of uh, whatever, but Living by the Book is good. Um, and he's got a chapter on, uh, on uh, nine questions for application. We're going to go over these. Now, when, I, when we talk about the nine questions you can ask yourself for application, you know, as you meditate on the scriptures and then you hear sermons and things, it's not only about these nine particular questions you can ask. You, you may draw something that has nothing to do with these questions at all, but these are helpful questions that have been around for a long time. We know the Holy Spirit's got to help us to and aid us in obeying scripture. We know that. Here's the nine questions that are, that are given. First of all, when you're looking at the scripture, studying it, hearing a sermon, whatever, you can ask yourself, is there an example for me to follow? That's one thing. Now, I don't think, you know, there's a thing going on now where people say, well, you can't follow examples in the Bible. That's moral teaching. And uh, there's more to the Bible than just teaching morals. You know, um, that we follow the, you know, we do what Daniel the prophet does, but we don't do what Judas Iscariot does. One's a good guy, one's a bad guy. We, do, we follow the good guys, not the bad guys. There's more to it than that. Um, but there's a biblical warrant for following good examples. There is in the scripture. Let me ask you this. Is it a bad thing if you if you, uh, you read in the Bible of Daniel, pray three times a day, is it a bad thing if you decided to do that? Man, that's a good idea. Is that something that's bad to do? If you, if you, you don't have to do it. It doesn't say to do it, that you have to do it. But is it a bad thing if you did it? Yeah, I mean, if you want to please the Lord and you think, man, that'll help me grow spiritually and, and so on and so forth, and then there's nothing wrong with it. Um, is it wrong to be inspired by David's example of faith when he was facing Goliath? Is that, is that, is it wrong? Is it a great example of faith? I thought, I mean, it's inspiring to me. You, you think, man, I should have faith in God like David did, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's right. Um, so following examples, do, is there any biblical warrant for this? Well, look at Philippians 4.9. Philippians, Paul speaking, he says, the things that you Philippians have learned and received and heard and seen in me, What? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It's Paul saying, practice what you've seen in me. He's saying, follow my example. There are, there are uh, like warrants, you know, against bad behavior, too. Like, even in Jude, uh, in 2 Peter, it says that, uh, well, both of them say that these are, you know, exhibited as examples. Uh, I'm going to find that's good. Fire. Yeah, that's right. Those unbelieving uh, Jews who were living the holy nation. Yeah. Right. Yep, Brad. That's right. Self-proclaimed apostles today might use this passage and say, "Oh, but Paul told us to, to do the things that he practiced. He performed mm -hmm. signs and wonders. So, right. should we do the same?" I think the 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 thing on that is to do is the the guys in the scripture that said the people in the scripture that were examples is what we're talking about, not today. We should all be examples. We know that. But I'm not. But, but I think we're, the focus is the guys in the Bible as examples. I guess what I'm saying is the self-proclaimed apostles today would look at this passage and say, uh, "Oh, yeah, 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Well, he and Paul says the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me do. But uh, what what they're going to do is they're going to want to focus on the miracles, not all the good stuff that Paul did. I mean, the uh, Christian living that he did. You know, First Corinthians eleven one: Be imitators of me. Paul said, "Imitators of who? Of me, just as I also am of Christ." You see it again in First Corinthians four sixteen, Philippians three seventeen. Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He even says, follow the example of others who are following us, our pattern. Uh, so you, you have that. Again, we don't, you know, obviously the whole thing about this is uh, we're, we're following, uh, we're, we're doing this because we want to glorify God, right? And we don't want to get carried away with these type things. But, um, when you read about Paul's, Apollos being mighty in the scriptures in the Bible, doesn't it lead you to think to yourself, man, I, wanna, I need to be st uh, stronger in the scriptures. Now, if we could do that for pride's sake, too. But well, we want to do it for the right reasons, you know, for why, the reasons Apollos did it. So, um, there could be, you know, there's, is there an example to follow in, a, in, a, in the sense that it's going to please God? It's going to glorify God, you know? Does anybody have any questions about that? Number three, is there a promise to claim? Not all promises are intended for me specifically. Um, you know, some for Israel, some for Abraham. We talked about that. Name it, claim it. Name it now, right? Can you think of a universal promise that's true of scriptures and of all of us? We could all say, yeah, I'm going to, I hate to say the word claim that promise because of this reason right, right here, but you know what I'm talking about. That we can say, you know, I'm going to rest on that promise or whatever word you want to use. Is there a promise like that in the Bible? There's many. What, what, can you name one? What's that? Yeah, yeah. You could, you could, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> yep, hope. I don't really want to claim that promise. Huh? <laughs> Can't you come up with something positive here? <laughs> That's true. On all sides of the coin. That's true, yeah. Yeah, we can, that we can wait for his return and say, Lord, I'm looking for your return. I'm living in light of your return. Uh, what about his promise never to leave us or forsake us? That's a great promise. That's a great promise. That's a really great promise right there. Um, number four, is there a prayer? Uh, Hendrick says, is there a prayer to repeat? How about a prayer to learn from? Uh, you know, we can learn. They can study the prayers of the Bible. Uh, Mike had a teacher. I uh, can't think of his name now. He wrote a four-volume four work, which we have in there, on all the prayers of the Bible. Roscup, yeah. I mean, four volumes studied in all the prayers in the Bible. That's, that's not a bad pursuit. That's a very good pursuit, as a matter of fact. Uh, by the way, um, Matthew Henry wrote a book called, I uh, can't think of the name of it. It's about prayer. Uh, if anybody can think of the name of it. And it's all, all it is is the prayers of the Bible. And, and the idea is to read through the book again and again to get in your head. What, how do you pray? Just reading those prayers. So, um, and I'm, listen, I, you know, I, I think, man, I need to study prayer more for, for that reason too. But study the prayers of the Bible, learn how to pray. David shows us how to confess sin, right? Psalm 51. Read Psalm 51, you'll learn how to confess sin. Uh, Hannah teaches about Thanksgiving and prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Lord, thank you for this child and so on. And she does a lot of quoting the scripture. Paul teaches us how to pray for other believers in his prayers, those kind of things. Number five, is there a command to obey? Yeah, plenty of them. Like, for example, of course, we do this again. We all, we, we don't know, you know, we always, we have the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey, but husbands love your, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives. Ephesians 5, wives submit, submit to your husbands. Ephesians 6, children obey your parents. It goes on and on and on throughout the scripture. Uh, six, is there a condition to meet? There's some conditions. John 15, 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You should ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done unto you. Does that mean you, you can, God gave us an open invitation to ask whatever we want to? He's, we can ask for wealth untold if we want to. No, a, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, right? So if, you abide, if you're abiding in Christ, his word is abiding in you, are you going to ask for wealth untold? You're going to ask for what the scripture says, right? You're going to ask for the things that, are, that God is concerned with. Um, number seven, is there a verse to memorize? And as you're studying, maybe there's a or maybe there's a chapter to memorize, or a section, or a book, or whatever. Uh, eight is there an error to mark as you're reading through the scripture? You uh, 
come across something that, um, you know, for a long time I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't on the election train and all that. I didn't, I mean, I, I never grew up that way. But I was reading the Bible, Ephesians 1, 4, and it talked about election. And I thought, huh? <laughs> and it hit me, what is this? And uh, I started thinking about that, and it troubled me for a long time, I'll be honest with you. And uh, I don't claim to understand it to this day, but I believe it. That's what it says in Scripture. Uh, you come across Acts 13, 48, as many as had been appointed unto eternal life have believed. What do you do with that? You do what one Greek teacher said? Well, that's the middle voice. As in many as had, uh, as had appointed themselves to eternal life believed. How do I point myself to that? I point myself to eternal life? That doesn't make any sense at all. Where, you know, that could be passive, by the way. Passive or middle, and I'm sure it's passive. Voice. So, but you know, when you read all the, the verses on election in the Bible, sorry, in the Old Testament, God put Israel as a elect nation. What do you do with that? Number nine, is there a challenge to face? Uh, maybe, maybe you've got a relationship that's gone bad, a relationship that needs to be avoided, some challenge in your life. Um, so you can, that's an application question. Johann Bingo wrote in 1742, apply yourself wholly to the text and apply the text wholly to yourself. That's a good policy. All right. What was number two? Number two? This should have been nine. I didn't say two. I don't know. I don't have it. That's funny. So you, there are your eight app questions for application. <laughs> Clearly we're not supposed to know what the second one was. I'll try to find out what it was.